Welcome to episode 55 of the Contrafabulist podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we are coming at you from Hermosa Beach. I did a bit of traveling this week, but we are home now for the next week before we head off to parts unknown again. Yeah, I'm, uh, we're enjoying some good time at home getting work done and being get, hopefully getting back to being regular about the podcast here. Hopefully. Um, so this was another crappy week, huh? Yeah, it seems to be back to back right now. It's, uh, it's, in, it's incredibly overwhelming. Um, on Monday, uh, the, the 22nd, there was a suicide bombing in Manchester at an Ariana Grande concert um, uh, in which 23 um, people were killed. And then um, what, Thursday? Thursday, Friday, Friday, there was a stabbing on the MAX train in Portland um, in which two people were killed. Um, And, of course, I mean, (laughs) this is, you know, there were probably a litany of other things that I'm not, um, you know, of other tragedies and and bombings and war that happened elsewhere, but those two really um, weigh heavily on, on my heart this week so well I'm yeah it's uh particularly Portland Portland is very close to home for us um you know we're both met in in Oregon and so we have a lot of connections Isaiah lives in Portland uh my daughter Kaya lives in in Eugene so that kind of uh really just hits really close to home but for me it, it you know the the silence among many conservative people I know about this Yet every time there's, you know, when it comes to Manchester or anything else, they're they're more than happy to to share uh, fear, uncertainty, and doubt via their their Facebook timelines. But when it comes to any of these homegrown ones, um, they're they're silent, and I just don't get it. I don't understand it, and it hurts. It hurts. I think it's for me. It's it's. I mean, it's troubling on so many levels. I mean, we saw. You know, this was. Um... Uh, I think last weekend, uh, another white supremacist in Maryland uh, uh, killed a young African-American who was p- poised to graduate from uh, from college. He, um, he had enlisted. He was going to be an officer, I believe, in the Army. Um, he, was, he was murdered. And then this attack in Portland was also at the hands of, of, a, of a known white supremacist, um, and so to me it's you know i feel as though what what this country is is failing to address right now is the way in which um the way in which it's it um we are we have emboldened a certain a certain group of 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 young men to to act out to act out their hate and it's 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 incredibly frightening and then i think Sad that the two that these two guys in Portland who died um, were you know were s- stepping up to defend uh, a young African American woman and a young Muslim woman um, reportedly in a hijab, and that they you know they lost their lives. When I feel as though Americans, so many white Americans in particular, are so reticent to speak up and to say something 
Um, and obviously, I think we have to, we must, and we have to speak up and say something sooner, um, not just when we see these sort of violent outbursts on, on the train, but we have to, we have to intervene. Um, we have to, and the fact that so many, as you say, so many, I mean, the president hasn't said a word about this. Um, I don't think I've seen any Republican um, politicians um, say a word about this, um, and that, like you said, that you know, none of our sort of conservative friends uh, on Facebook seem to be talking about this, makes me feel as though we we are really not we're not intervening. And these, um, this is it's just I, I don't know. This week watching watching Trump abroad too, um, and then for me I was in Mexico City very briefly and. Um, just feeling as though things are really collapsing, and I'm not sure. I'm I'm not sure how we can pull things back together, or if if and when we do, um, it's going to take decades, I think, to repair the damage that Trump and what he has, what he's sort of um, sanctioning, in terms of behavior, both interpersonal and institutional. It's going to take us decades to recover from this. Yeah, it's a. Uh, um, I mean, the 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 silence of people in in my timeline on this, I think, for me, speaks to a lot of the really damn the illness that's that that exists in there in in what's going on right now. That for me, I mean, because this is Oregon, a lot of conservative friends of mine are in Oregon, and they're not saying a a, a thing. And these are all people who would who would uh, speak up every time it's a, it's a brown person, and they would share something and post something. Um, and say something, but when it's these situations, they don't speak up. They don't say anything. And I would add another dimension to it. Can we can we point out that this 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 person this um, killed two people, injured a third, and then didn't get shot by police? So he was he he was a, he was taken in by a police force that you and I both know. Um, you know what Oregon police are like. Um, I know very firsthand, and and they're definitely not. Um, they're 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 silently helping. You know this this side of of the conversation, and I think this represents what's going on across the country. And and so so many layers of the of this illness just really really leave me uneasy, feeling like things are are very very precarious. Yeah, I mean, and to tie it, you know, to tie it back into technology, there are a couple of observations I have about about um, this episode in, in Portland in particular. And the first is that, um, you know, Portland, uh, well, or Oregon itself is was a state founded on white supremacy, right? It was it was explicit that um, African Americans could not, freed slaves could not could not move there that the the state was at and the the legacy of that persists today um portland is the widest um large metropolitan city um in in the u.s again because of again this sort of this legacy of practices of of discrimination and exclusion um and the the police force in Portland, however, has a lot of money and spends a lot of effort to um, to deal with quote unquote gangs. Um, they have a large budget. They they purportedly have a database where they track gang activity. Um, uh, and of course, that's you know that's a racially coded 
term for the criminal activity, by and large the drug-related criminal activity of the African-American population, a very small, a very, very small African-American population in, in North in North Portland. Um, and yet there's, there's, you know, I'm not sure that the recent statistics would sort of bear out it being worthwhile that the gang, quote-unquote gang activity that the police, Portland police focus on remain, um, remain so, so racialized. When Oregon in particular is a place I think that again, like I said, sanctioned by Trump, but connected to these larger forces right now has really seen a resurgence in white supremacy. I mean, it's, it's long been a bastion for white supremacists, I think, um, but it's really seen a emboldened, these people are emboldened. Um, and there were queries yesterday, were, was, was this person who was, who um, the, the, um, the suspect who's been arrested in these murders, was he part of this gang database? He's a known white supremacist. He participates in, he's been, he's been, um, active and observed at gat recent white supremacist gatherings. Um, what were the police sort of tracking him, monitoring him in the same way that we see, again, this sort of racialized predictive policing? Um, and it turns out the answer is no. But I think that, you know, the technology, the ways in which these things get technologized, right? So we have databases that track, and we have those here in LA too, databases that track people who are suspected to be quote unquote gang members. Um, but really this is, this is, this is very much about racist, uh, a racist sort of profiling um, that, that in which white men who are identified with a violent ideology like, um, you know, like, like neo-Nazis don't, don't seem to to end up in the sort of gang database. Gang is a word we use to describe a gathering of brown men, um, not a gathering of, of white men, um, even if those white men intend to do violence. And so I think that's an important to think about technologically, right? So we're building out these databases and increasingly building out these algorithms that are gonna identify certain populations as being criminals. Meanwhile, you know, meanwhile we see Two examples this week in the U.S. where a neo-Nazi um, murdered somebody or murdered several people, and then the other piece of that well, that's interesting for me to Oregon, and you'll you could perhaps speak to this, and perhaps perhaps you don't know, is and I think we want to talk about this a bit later in the podcast is the role of social media um, in both spreading and silencing these kinds of stories. Of course, um, the you know so. Do people who, because of sort of filters and algorithms, do people who lean right, lean far right, um, are they seeing these stories? They're certainly not, it doesn't appear as though they're being reported on Fox News, certainly not to the extent that others, the other stories are, are being talked about. Um, I mean, Fox isn't talking about a lot of things right now, cough, cough, Jared Kushner. But, you know, is this stuff being covered by the mainstream right-wing news media? And then is it being surfaced by the likes of Facebook for, for these folks? And I, I'm thinking in particular of some of the stuff that came out a couple of years ago when there was a school shooting in Roseburg, um, the, in which a lot of folks seem to believe that this was a false flag. The school shooting um, at the community college there never um, never happened or it was a false flag operation. And so I'm really curious um, about the ways in which folks, um, you know, folks on the right, folks on the, uh, um, folks whose profile perhaps 
ties them more closely to white supremacists do or do not see these kinds of stories. Because really, I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised to see the silence. Um, the, most of the conservatives that I'm friends with on Facebook aren't Oregonians. They're from Wyoming. But I'm surprised that I've seen nothing because two of the men who were killed were service people, right? Um, Ricky Best, who was one of the people killed in Portland, was a 23-year um, vet. And the, the guy who's killed in Maryland was, a, was like I said, a, a, an officer in the Army. Um, and so the fact that neither of the sort of attack on the on a military on Memorial Day weekend here in the U.S. too, the silence to me is is odd. It's 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 actually quite odd. Well, I have quite a few conservative folks on my timeline from Oregon, and and you know, for me at at the lowest level, I'm not familiar with Portland police politics, but I am very intimate with pretty much the rest of Oregon when it comes to Eugene Bend. Medford, Grants Pass, Roseburg, all of these areas, I have intimate uh, knowledge of, of the police force from growing up with people who are, are now policemen, who family are policemen, and also being arrested several times in, in by these law enforcement. So these people are very much intertwined with um, the quote-unquote gangs that, um, you know, so it's law enforcement perpetuating these circles and in southern Oregon you have a group um, that are called I think the Oath Keepers or whatever they're pretty much like biker the affinity layer the Venn diagram is like bikers military law enforcement um, retired and active all acting under this um, kind of uh, intimidation they show up places they do things they do rallies but then they also this this is emulated and, and reflected online and and I know of several uh, Facebook groups as well as non-Facebook groups that have been infiltrated and overrun by these people who um, dom- come in dominate the conversation and run everybody off and so the 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 bubble effect that these types of things create is is you know I still keep a few people um, on my um, Facebook that are pretty conservative and pretty, um, you know, out there. Um, I had to call a lot of them when I, when I worked with people who are working in the Obama administration because of very racist things, but I tend to keep some of them, um, as a kind of barometer, um, in my bubble too, so that I see what, what's being said on their timelines, what kind of, you know, things they're chatting and what things they don't say. Because for me coming from Oregon, one of the most damaging effects, um, this culture and this reality have in person as well as now being recreated online and being emulated algorithmically by Facebook is is silence, what you don't say. So when this is going on, what's not said? Because I, get, I know 20 people like this dude who's, who who did this in Portland. I know like 20 people that I grew up with who who have those tendencies, have that behavior, and we never said anything, or we don't have the resources to deal with, or we did call the police and the law enforcement, and they don't care because they're in the same circle as that person. So you're you're left pretty, um, you don't have many tools to, to deal with. But then one of the things you deal with to, to cope is go off into your corner and don't say anything and don't speak up. You don't speak up on Facebook because people will dogpile on you in these in these social circles. So I guess the question is, you know, is how is Facebook 
dealing with these filters or just reinforcing these patterns. I mean, we saw some of the, the news come out this week about, you know, their their um, practices for handling a variety of situations when they come up. And it seems to me that that they're pretty much just reinforcing and 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 handing tools over to these same people who in person show up to intimidate, um, tend to run these small towns and mid-sized town politics. Um, and they're they're the same people who have a big bullhorn right now um, as Trump supporters. Yeah, I think that the um, I think that this question of the role of of Facebook um, is something that you know we've obviously we've been we've been talking about this for a while now. Um, you know, during the election, the the rise, quote unquote, of sort of Facebook driven fake news um, really got a lot of attention. But I think as, as people sort of poke at this farther, you actually, you know, and Facebook really sort of shrugged its hands like it always is, and we've, we've mentioned this before, like Facebook insists that it's not a media company. Facebook insists that it's a technology company. But um, this Guardian, um, the Guardian um, recently published, I guess they called it, the, you know, their Facebook's sort of internal playbook or rule book, if you will, on how moderation works, um, the kinds of the kinds of things that Facebook both hu- with human moderators, but again also increasingly algorithmically is going to identify as being problematic content and the kinds of things that get the kinds of things that get um, uh, get deleted. And I think that, you know, I think that what we see is that this, that, um, you know, Facebook, Facebook is really a powerful force for, because of, uh, because of the advertising, because of the ways in which, you know, Facebook collects massive amounts of data to us and then, um, you know, uh, delivers you advertising and, and, and even content based on that, we're really seeing sort of this reaffirmation for certain certain populations to hear stories that are incredibly damaging and then at the same time Facebook sort of also making it even a even a less safe place to be by virtue of the ways in which they deem some things to be quote offensive um, and other things to to be free speech um, it's I think it's quite um, it's quite, it's quite horrifying. I mean, part of it, you know, part of it is, you know, some of it has to do with things like Holocaust denial that, that Facebook can respond to. I mean, Facebook responds to these things legally. It's bound to respond to these things in certain countries, right? It's bound to respond to Holocaust denial content in Germany and in Austria. And, um, I think in France, it's, it's legally responsible to pull this sort of content, and yet it seems quite um, <laughs> quite comfortable with leaving this information up in other in other venues. It claims sort of like it has no obligation, um, and sort of again couches this in terms of censorship, right? It says like, well, we will, we we support free speech, but then um, really sort of hides the fact that it's a that it is already a power powerful sensor and powerful arbiter of what people of what people see and what people don't see it's perfectly fine with it's perfectly fine with racist content it's perfectly fine with misogynist content well what the the piece that you and I battle I think 
the most right now is is kind of pushing back on the narratives around artificial intelligence and machine learning and algorithms in general that that you know they're 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 being sold and put out there as as these magical things that that get conjured up. I mean, you hear a lot of stories actually out of Google and IBM about you know our AI writing itself, AI writing its own algorithms, and like it's some sort of uh, magical incarnation. People forget that well, actually, people write algorithms and create these rules, and there's actually pretty lengthy sets of rule sets like we saw come out of Facebook that are in place from humans um, operating and executing against a set of rules, improving them, evolving them, and there's a set of managers um, wanting to uh, move that forward, not because they have this, this, this they want to create these amazing magical algorithms. They want to eventually get rid of those people and, and have this automated and done in a way that that is much more efficient and costs them less money. And so they're not looking for the, the right answer. They're not looking to be the, the right morality police. They're taking these, 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 these models, these things that they're executing as a business and looking to optimize and refine those. And then the next layer of signals that get woven into those set of rules are from the partners, the people who are buying the ad platforms. And we have to think about, well, who are these people? You know, who are the people who are buying um, these ads and, and, and actually influencing the way these algorithms behave or these rule sets get created? And these are people, you know, these are, comp- you know, these are CIA organizations, NSA, they are Eastern Bloc countries, they are, you know, average enterprise organizations they're you know they're what they're political organizations cpacs people who buy facebook advertising there's many different reasons but right now the people with a lot of money the people who are generating revenue off of that clickbaity stuff so the bright barts and all that they're they're steering this secondary layer this conversation that's going on that that tailors these algorithms and they're trying to craft these and master plan these. And this isn't just Facebook. This is Twitter. I feel like both of these, the Twitter API and the Facebook API, are two of the most important things out there right now when it comes to cyber insecurity threats. All the things that, that all the way down to the, the organ level that we were talking about is allowing this this ex- grand experiment to go go on around crafting these algorithms of what you see and what your influence and what can get at you and it's very much capitalist driven um you know these these people who who have this bullhorn and understand how to manipulate these systems and they tend to be men and then you have the 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 people at Facebook who are trying to you know put out this final product of this algorithm from all this training from all these people and they're men also doing this and so you just have this this really weird mix of just bro going into these algorithms that are increasingly guiding every aspect of our life so i think that i mean in some ways i feel as though um you know what talk of machine learning and talk of algorithms makes this all look as though it's much more complex um, than it actually is. I mean, I think a lot of the, the lot of the talk about machine learning is hype. It's really, um, folks are really sort of overstating what these, what these systems can do. Um, but what we, what we do have, I think with, with Facebook and now um, soon to be 
Twitter as well is, uh, and, and Google, Google, Google falls under this as well, are a set of technologies that are really based around advertising, right? So this is advertising technology. Um, and it's, you know, the advertising industry is, is, uh, um, is an old industry. Um, it's not ancient, but, you know, it's, it, but the, you know, but thinking about the ways in which the growth of advertising is very much, has always been about building profiles of people, but also about psychological, I think, psychological manipulation of certain populations, right? We have to convince you, the famous example, we have to convince you that you want to smoke cigarettes, right? We have to make it so that cigarettes seem to be this appealing, sexy, habit and not something that's really disgusting and smelly and filthy, right? So these are about, does, I am putting people into certain, pro, profiling people into certain buckets based on demographic characteristics, male, female, age, where you live, um, uh, spending habits. Um, and those I think have gotten sophist increasingly sophisticated over the last century, um, and, and then not and not just thanks to and again not just thanks to algorithms, um, but they've become increasingly because of the increased amount of data that we're generating right now, that the profile ostensibly can be more and more fine tuned. So you know it's it's a matter of you know it's fairly easy to identify gender based on just on someone's name. Um, and I, I think that, you know, identifying, identifying race, similarly, um, looking at guessing someone's age, putting them in an age bucket, um, putting them in a, in a particular um, income or spending, spending bucket, and then advertising to them. I think that the innovation around uh, the, the fake news stuff in Facebook is that, that I think that you know, Cambridge Analytica was part of this, but I think the Trump, the Trump team as well, were really I think, and and other and other right wing publications, have really sort of, and I'm thinking, I'm actually thinking of Roger Ailes, who um, may he burn in hell, um, you know, really identified that there were certain populations that weren't being targeted, and that you could actually cater something to that particular demographic. Um, that was perhaps disaffected, that was, was feeling a bit angry about the state of the world, and you could sell them, a, you could make a lot of money selling them hate. And I think that that's what Fox News has done so successfully, targeting the you know 50, 60, and over crowd um, with just 24 hours worth of programming around around hate, fear, and hate. Um, but I think that that's what you know that's what Facebook has done to a whole swath of population, including you know I think to you know bring it back full circle, including to a lot of rural people in Oregon. We think of Oregon, of course, because of the size of Portland, and it's a blue state because of the size of Portland. We don't think of Oregon, or many people, not, uh, Oregon, Oregonians, I think, know this. Really, people of color who are Oregonians know this. But like, the state has a lot of rural folks in it. The state is overwhelmingly white, and there's a lot of disaffected displaced workers, particularly in the south of the state where you're from, that were part of industries that have gone away. And I think that that's a real fertile ground to sell people hate and fear. And Fox News capitalized on that. Rush Limbaugh capitalized on that. But I think that Facebook has really dialed that advertising model 
advertising model in. And it is all about advertising. It's not just about like the content in the Fox News programs. It's about you have to find the advertisers who are willing to support and fund that. And that's, I think, that's the model that Facebook is really um, working on. So it's not just, I mean, I just mean to say it's not simply, a it's not even as sophisticated as, as AI. Right? This is just advertising. Yeah, well, I mean, AI layer for all of that, for advertising, for cybersecurity, is all just going to be about obscuring and hiding the fact that it's 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 simple and it's all just emotionally, you know, capitalist driven as far as how these things work. But this is where I think the the Silicon Valley, the privileged per people who are working on that list of, that Facebook has, that set of rules, you know, they think they're they're working this this advertising magic, this technology magic, and they're making and they're they're I don't know what is Facebook's mission, connecting the world's people. You know, Google's looking to index the world's data. Facebook is connecting the world's people. What is Twitter trolling everybody? What's Twitter for? Um, but anyways, that they think they're working some magic and 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 making the world better. And 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 this tool, because of 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 things that, you know, you pointed out for for years that you know the internet's born out of these very military origins, these very very military roots. And I don't think. We can ever fully escape that. We need to acknowledge it. But these people are willfully in in denial of it. Of how how magical their little advertising um, machine. Um, how how this other group of people, the bright parts of the world, and the people who pull in you know the the lob, knobs and levers behind the Trump campaign, and all the way to into Russia. You know they're they're able to pull these knobs and levers in this way that that make this. I don't know, just beautiful machine for, like you said, selling hate and fear to people who can't really afford much else. And they're they're under constant assault. And similarly, you and I are under constant assault as well. So I think there's, because of the demographics, because of the, the bucket um, funnel making aspects of marketing and then advertising, um, we've created these bubbles where everyone's under constant assault every day. And it depends on what you can afford to buy out of that um how much of a, a break or how rosy or cat based it is or you know fear based of you know brown people coming to get you um it just really depends on what you can afford in that stack well i think that you know one of to tie it back to education technology for me and this is a talk that i'm giving in a week or so in um in iceland um our next big trip um, to Iceland. Um, I, I'm really interested in the way in which personalization, which is sort of one of the buzzwords of education right now, personalized learning, is really just an extension of this exact model, right? And so all of this baggage that we see play out around personalization and the Facebook feed, personalization and ignorance, personalization and misinformation, personalization personalization and fear, personalization and consumption is really being um, both a, a mental model and an actual, you know, sort of algorithmic model and a, and the software design is being shipped over to, to education. Of course, Facebook is, and Mark Zuckerberg um, are, are, you know, literally funded, literally funding software that's to be developed for schools that that is that shares this that shares this sort of um, shares this origin in profiling and deciding what's the best what's the best content um, to 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 show somebody, and so I think that that it's you know I think it's worth 
you know, it's really worth stopping and thinking about why is personalization, what are the, what are the implications of, of personalization on, um, on democracy? And I mean, we've talked a lot about in this podcast, I mean, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about Facebook, but you know, again, it's, you know, this is, this is more than just Facebook. And we saw, you know, Twitter, like you said, or one of us said, Twitter's analysis changed to its privacy policy. Um, Twitter is now going to start doing precisely the same thing, which is sort of tracking you across the web, much more heavy handed advertising for Twitter. This is part of its sort of ongoing desperate look for a, for a, a sustainable source of revenue. Um, but I think that Twitter is going to increasingly start doing the sort of profiling and quote unquote personalization. And as Twitter has become uh, such an important tool for journalists um, and an important, I mean, an important tool for breaking for breaking news, sharing news, um, I think that um, I think that the you know again how how are we going to see these forces like Cambridge Analytica? Um, uh, sort of move move into move into new uh, into new circles, and so I think it's it's pretty troubling um, for uh, for you know for a, a flow of inform for the flow of information, and it's not um, it's not entirely new. But I you know to sort of summarize this this week, like I said at the outset of this podcast, I'm I'm really getting the strong sense that we have lost the thread in the U.S. We've completely lost the thread in the U.S. A lot of things that were perhaps not laws, but were traditions that, that sort of subtly and overtly supported democracy have been shipped away very, very quickly by the Trump administration. And I'm quite concerned about the, the direction that we are taking in terms of um, information, and that has implications for education, has implications for technology, has implications for democracy. Amen. Um, I, would, I, would, I would add to that in full disclosure that, that um, you know, I think one of the, one of the links we'll include in, include in the show notes is, is a story from my own blog about selling remarketing tags, and this is one of the revenue generators um, I've historically made money off of API Evangelist by selling, um, placing a Google tag for a partner of mine who gives me money. Um, it has been three scale for the last three years. Uh, and they get to target my users with ads wherever else they go on the internet. So basically through the Google machine, I'm not selling personal data, but I am selling access to you if you visit my site. This has helped pay our bills, and, and I'm actually trying to talk and be transparent and open about this because this is something that occurs constantly around the web. Um, and then also, you know, in, in pointing out Twitter's change in privacy stances, people are going even further with it as far as tracking you. Um, you know, I'm offloading the tracking to Google and saying, hey, Google track these people and, and, and I'm giving access to that to my partner. So this is just one slice of how people are making money on the web. And I just think we need to um, get better at having a conversation about it. Um, and because, like you said, I think the, the, the implications are pretty, pretty 
big right now. It's not just at a at a personalization level. It's actually at the up at the democracy level, and we just need to get better at having conversations out in the open about what's driving all this. What are the motivations? Because I think nine out of ten times it's just some pretty greedy capitalist motivations, and not as as sinister or dark or complicated as people like to say. Uh, uh, point out that it is, and I think AI, machine learning, these in the next uh, you know five years are going to be the number one ways to just hide, not complexity, not magic, not proprietary, but actually hide just really uh, old concepts of greed, incompetency, racism, and and people and human problems. But it's going to be masked in 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 these new ways of of looking at things. Um, yeah, well, that's a good place to end. I would just add with the, if I were to weigh in, I would say that capitalism is, is, um, dark and destructive, but, um, but yeah, that, yeah. Okay. Till next week. Till next week.